Hi and welcome back. This is Police Stories Podcast and I'm Dave and this is episode 22. Uh, so today we're going to talk about drink drivers and then a specific incident that I dealt with. Um, drink drivers, you know, very much a, a scourge of, uh, of the world we live in, unfortunately. You know, they um, there's been campaigns for years, hasn't there, on the news uh, and in the papers, etc., you know, to try and get people to be... Uh, more aware of how much you know drinking can affect your ability to drive and uh, certainly I think it has got better you know 20-30 years ago without a doubt it was much more sort of socially acceptable uh, but now you have things thankfully you know where people uh, kind of have you know a designated driver on the on the night etc um, but unfortunately like every other cop out there no matter where you work in the world I'd suggest you know you've seen some absolute carnage uh, from drink drivers, you know, um, and they'll come out with all the excuses in the world, you know, um, for a period of time, certainly I remember 20 years ago, you know, in the UK, people say, oh, you can have, you know, two pints, you know, of, of beer, for example, you know, no problems at all, and you'll be fine, you know, but, but actually, it isn't as easy as that, it's not as clear cut, because it depends on, you know, what you've been drinking, how much you've eaten that night, you know, how much you've exercised in the day. There's so many factors. And also, you know, you say, well, two pints, two pints of what? You know, two pints of low level lager that's maybe 4%, you know, or two pints of, you know, um, nutcracker, horrendous, you know, um, anvil, uh, killer ale that's, you know, 11 or 12% or something ridiculous. You can imagine two pints of that is very different to two pints of a, a low level lager. So, um, yes, unfortunately, um, seen lots of drink driving and um, and heard all the excuses, to be honest with you. Um, certainly the two sort of classic ones in the UK, and this is probably the same in other parts of the world, although they may be called different things. One is what's called the hip flask defence. So again, this is a classic, uh, you know, you've got a scenario where uh, you get called to say an accident turn up at uh, the scene of uh, and, and these things change their name as well they're currently called i believe um rtcs road traffic crashes because they were rtas road traffic accidents but um, the feeling was that well they were never accidents they were crashes someone was at fault and therefore they're rtcs but whatever you call them um you know accidents crashes it doesn't matter the same thing two cars hitting each other or maybe you know a lamppost or a house or a person or, or whatever it is um, so yeah, lots of, uh, death and destruction out there, unfortunately, but this hip flask defense, what happens is, um, you get called to say, you know, to, uh, to the scene of an accident, you turn up and one of the cars has gone, you know, and you've got poor old Mrs. Miggins there who says, you know, guy drove into me, um, he got out or he didn't stop. Um, he basically had a quick look at the damage, you know, I thought I could smell drink on him and then he drove off, you know, and he drives, you know, a black car and this is a registration number. You manage to speak to another witness, you know, he gives you the registration number of the car. So you figure out the address and um, then one or two things happens. You go round to the address of the registered keeper of that car and the classic is you ring the doorbell, they open the door and they're standing there with, you know, whiskey in their hand or a can of beer or whatever it is, some sort of alcoholic drink in their hand. And uh, you say to them, hi, you know, understand you're the owner of, you know, a black Vauxhall Astra registration number, you know, blah, blah. And he's like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So at this point, he's either going to tell you, well, yeah, it's on the drive or it's just outside my house. You know, there it is. And then he's going to look out and look ever surprised and go, oh, I can't believe it. My car's gone. Someone must have stolen it. Kind of, you know, 
any sort of seasoned cop standing there giving it. Mm-hmm. Of course it is Pinocchio, you know. Um, and uh, basically they're going to tell you that their car was stolen and they have no clue. Um, the other one is that um, they'll say, you know, oh, they had an accident and they thought they'd exchange details or whatever it is. And then to calm their nerves when they got home, you know, um, they uh, they immediately had a massive, massive drink, you know, this huge whiskey or whatever it is, just to calm my nerves. That's all it is. And obviously they're thinking that, you know, when um, because you do have powers in most circumstances to actually enter their house and still breath test them within their house, even though they'll tell you once again, as we talked about before, where's your warrant? I want to see your warrant. You know, you don't need a warrant in most of those circumstances. Now, the drink drive law is very confusing in the UK, even for cops. You know, there's a lot of little bits to it. So you have to really be on your game in terms of knowing your powers. Um so it doesn't hurt, you know, on the way to a job where you're thinking this guy's, you know, not going to let us in. He's going to be on the hip flask defence. You know, have, you have a quick brush up on your powers just to make sure you've got powers of entry and stuff. Certainly by the time I went to an address, you know, knocked on the door, I would know exactly what I could and couldn't do there. Um, so, yeah, but that's OK. People think they're being clever. Hip flask defence. I've had my big drink at home. That way the cops will never know the fact that I was actually drink driving. You know, they think that they're the first person to ever have thought of this this defense um but the reality is what happens is uh so he's standing there with his you know big old whiskey on the go you seize the whiskey um you ask him which bottle it came from you know you seize the bottle um or the pint glass or whatever it is you seize everything basically um which again you're allowed to do without a warrant so you've got the bottle you've got the glass you've got the amount of fluid um and uh, basically what can happen is they can the scientists can do a count back so you can record how many milliliters of liquid you've got you can you know record the strength of it uh you you've taken the bottle and they say well i've only just opened it and this is the big drink i've had out of it or if they say well, i've had two beers since i got home that's fine you take the empty beer bottles you know and then the scientists will work out right he's had two 500 mil bottles of five percent lager um, because he will still get breath tested and almost certainly arrested and taken to the police station and then put on the... So you have an initial what's called a screening device, which is the one that you carry in the car with you, and you would breath test them at uh, the scene on this. Now, I've seen, obviously, like in America, for example, they have their sobriety tests, don't they, where they have them sort of walking about and touching their finger on their nose with their eyes closed and doing sort of heel-to-toe walking and stuff. We've never had that in the UK. We've always had some sort of... Um, well, not to my knowledge, anyway, we've always had some sort of a breath testing machine. Um, and originally, like way back before I started, so we're talking probably 35 years ago, there was like a plastic bag that had some crystals in it. And you basically got them to blow in this tube and the crystals turn colour if there was alcohol present. You know, that was the real sort of first breath test that I'm aware of. Um, but they've come a long way. And now, you know, they'll give us an exact reading and they're remarkably accurate on the side of the road. However, regardless of that... That uh, changing on the side of the road will allow you to um, get a good idea, you know, of exactly whether they're over the limit enough to arrest them. And then once you arrest them and you take them back to the police station, they go on to a, um, a much more sensitive machine back at the, the nick at the police station. And that will give you an absolute bang on reading. You know, that thing is calibrated and very regularly has engineers coming out to test it. So you 100 percent can go to court and say for sure, you know, this was the reading that machine gave. That machine is calibrated. There's absolutely no wriggling out of it, you know. Um, and if they say double the limit, the scientists will be able to work back and say, you know, these two bottles that they drank of 5% lager, 
um, would not have put them, you know, twice the limit. You know, they can work that out. So therefore, you can 100% prove um, that they were driving under the influence. You know, and of course, it has big, big uh, effects on most people. You know, uh, you know, and it doesn't matter how many times you try and get this across to people, they just don't realise. You know, and I appreciate some people are alcoholics and have a real problem and they're beyond caring. You know, but invariably, people are quite often going to lose jobs over it. If they're losing jobs, they might be losing it houses you know they're losing marriages you know you name it uh you can lose it through the drink drive i'm not trying to preach i'm just saying how it is you know um so yeah drink drivers um very very difficult so on this particular occasion we'd had this call and we didn't know it was a drink driver to start with it was just an accident now it was very very rural um i used to work in a place um i was probably in my first maybe three years of service something like that i was crewed up with quite an experienced cop and we had this call out to, you know, this rural location sort of surrounded by fields and farms and things. Really, really rural. Um, no sort of signal out there. So I think it was someone from a farmhouse that had actually run us to say um, there's been a big accident. Car's gone off the road uh, into the field. And I think it was on its roof, if I remember right. So um, we go uh, hammering out on, on the blue lights to this job. Uh, no other cars involved is what we're told. Uh, initially you know of course you never know that for sure and don't forget that no matter what you get told um, on the phone doesn't necessarily mean you know that's what you're going to find somebody could have completely got the wrong end of the stick so you do have to try and keep an open mind um, so sure enough we turn up you know there's some very obvious broken fences uh, and then a, a pathway it was corn I think in the field that was sort of partially grown so it was about two or three foot tall and there was this very obvious you know car uh, width sort of shape running straight through the broken fence into the field and disappearing from view so we go off and searching into the um into the the crops and we're looking round and uh you know it took it took us a while to find it. it sounds ridiculous you know it's a car in a field you know with nothing else in it apart from crops but but actually it obviously tumbled as well it had rolled um and various things had come off the car and out of the car so you actually had several sort of debris fields if you like for want of a better word that had spread off in all directions so we had to sort of follow through all the paths of uh, of chaos basically through this crop until eventually we came to the car sure enough it was on its roof i mean we got there maybe 10 minutes after it had uh, gone on its roof um but it wasn't uh, you know it was still pretty hot and steaming thankfully it hadn't burst into flames but there was no one in it and of course, we had no way of knowing, you know, had there been like five people in here, you know, was it just one person, you know, was there no one in it? Had somebody pushed it into the field just for a laugh, you know, had someone stolen it and decided to, you know, sort of uh, somehow wedge the accelerator down and drive it off, you know, kids mucking about, who knows? So, but again, you have to keep an open mind. And I'm afraid many, many times in the police, you know, the police have been caught out with this one where, they assume that oh there's no one in it or it was you know it's been here for ages or whatever it is and then ultimately you found you know someone you know dead or dying nearby um so you, you know you absolutely have to be a hundred percent sure who was in that vehicle and where they are so within the vehicle that wasn't obvious how many uh, people had been in it uh there was blood in the vehicle so we could see um some blood we could see you know some signs of kind of disturbance and a bit more blood on the floor suggesting whoever it was had got out so you know you're assuming obviously they're injured and uh, we need to find this person but again it, it wasn't an obvious track off through the field where you know where it was leading to so once again we called in our friends the police dog 
you know fantastic uh, resource um and uh we had a little bit of a wait i think it was maybe 10 minutes or so and the police dog turned up now this is where they're fantastic particularly in a rural area so you haven't got an awful lot of smells the only thing you might have that puts them off is uh you know the old fox or deer or something because if you're trying to track someone who's got out of a car a stolen car for example in a town center you know you've got all sorts of people have crisscrossed that path and it's really confusing for the dog so sometimes they find it a lot harder you know to track through um, towns and villages but in rural environments you know when you've got um, a big old field like this with nothing else around it if that wildlife's not present or if it isn't immediately there um, then you've got a good chance um, so what happened was doggy comes out has a sniff round normally when they've got a decent scent you know they're quite obvious the handler will know but you'll have a pretty good idea because most of them sort of literally stick their head down and they're into kind of business mode they're into work mode they're tracking hard so um dog sets off at a blistering pace uh, and, and it's for the handler now who's got him on about a 30 foot lead to try and slow him down and uh, I uh, you know me and my colleague are sort of in in hot pursuit trying to keep up as well because invariably the the dog you know I say dog men but you know obviously dog officers are very very fit um and because they you know this is their life these sort of fast tracks so uh, of course there's us with all our kit on struggling to keep up but Needless to say, we did a reasonable job and we kept up with him. So the track went off about, I don't know, 50 or 100 metres and down to a stream. Now, bearing in mind, this is night. This is the early hours, in fact. So um, and it was quite moonlit. Now, I know I'm setting like a romantic scene here, but it, it wasn't like that. Trust me. There was a river at the bottom of this hill and the dog track down there. And um, we could see that uh, there was somebody down there. There was a male down at the river. Um so we thought, fantastic, we found the guy. We're not quite sure why he's here, but maybe he's got a head injury. You know, perhaps he's dazed. You know, you don't know what, what's happened to him. Um, so we shout out to him and he stands up and he's actually washing his sort of head and face. He's got a cut on his head, quite a decent cut on his head. Um, and uh, he, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of dripping blood, but he's, he's washing it off in the river. Um, and again, you might think that's weird, but you have no clue to say what this person's been through or what they've taken or are they drunk or whatever. Anyway, as soon as he stood up and, and this was something like a horror movie because he stood up, he turned to face us and I immediately recognised him. Now, he looked the part because he had a bit of blood coming down his face anyway, but I immediately recognised him and he was one of our local travellers. He was one of our local gypsies and uh, he was a very, very hard man. You know, he was a bare knuckle fighter, really, really tough guy pathological hatred of the police um, absolutely hated us and uh, I'd never ever known of him being arrested without it ending in a big fight and invariably cops getting assaulted you know now I remember this is in the days before tasers and you know uh, pepper spray or CS or anything like that you know it was basically uh, Ronnie and Reggie as we'd call it you know our fists um, maybe uh, a sort of side-handled baton if you had it, or if not, you might have still been using your little wooden truncheon that you were issued with, which I was actually issued with originally, but uh, pretty useless, to be honest with you. So I, I recognised this guy straight away, and I looked at my colleague, who also knew him as well, and the dog man, because the dog man was local, uh, so all three of us knew who this was, and, and literally, you know, my heart dropped, so I was like, oh, Christ, you know, this is going to hurt. This guy is a nightmare. So... Uh, Let's call him Steve. Um, the bad guy's called Steve. And I'm sorry to all the Steves out there. but uh, So we approach and go, oh, hi, Steve, how are you? Had a bit of an accident by the look of it, you know. And, of course, he's straight away, you know, his back's up. 
and uh, you know what's it to do what's it got to do with you you know keep away from me keep your distance but he was already slurring his words and uh, we knew he was a drinker as well so I was like oh you know for sure he's had a drink anyway because um, there was just a tiny bit of hope that maybe he's just crashed his car and there's no one else involved and that'd be the end of it but no of course not um, we knew it was his car um, he was definitely drunk we could see it you know without getting near him to to breath test him but he was sort of swaying about and uh you could see it in his eyes you could hear it in his slurring words um interestingly when you these things come to court in england they're really hot that when you write statements you give evidence you never say the person smelled of alcohol because um there's a stated case down that way that um, alcohol doesn't smell of everything. And, and I'm talking about like 100% pure alcohol like you'd use in a, you know, a, a scientific experiment does not smell of anything. So you stand up in court and uh, the clever solicitor says, officer, you say that my um, client smelt strongly of alcohol. Is that right? And you're all chuffing yourself. Yes, that's right. It's very strongly of alcohol. And they go, brilliant. You know, and what, uh, what does alcohol smell of? And there's this pause where you kind of go, well, you know, it was like a beer or some wine or whatever. You go, really? But but that's not alcohol, you know. So uh, the particularly clever one in the past, I've known them pass out uh, literally 100% alcohol to the officer. Say, so, officer, take the lid off that bottle. So you take the lid off the bottle and you give it, right, sniff that and tell me what it smells of. Of course, 100% alcohol smells of nothing. So when you... Um, of course you smell this and to your horror you, you know exactly where he's going with it and you're about to look very very stupid in court um so the reality is because without the, the smell of uh alcohol you know or what we call in terms of evidence intoxicating liquor some of your powers wouldn't exist you see to take breath tests or powers of entry and stuff so they've only got to wriggle out of it by saying well you said he smelled of alcohol he didn't because alcohol hasn't got a smell and that you then entered my client's house illegally you know and arrested him um blah 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 you know you can see where it's going so yeah you do have to be careful with this so yes that's the point it has to be in evidence they smell strongly of intoxicating liquor it sounds very old-fashioned but that's why it's said and not alcohol so um anyway this guy yeah convinced he's drunk then there is a power that you know you don't have to necessarily breath test someone if they're so obviously drunk like and the classic is they open the car door or you open the car door and they fall out sideways at your feet you know, that's what they call a good section four. That's an unfit to drive through drink or drugs. You don't need to breath test that person, not initially, because it's so blatantly obvious that they are drunk or drugged. Um, so that would be a straight arrest. And that's pretty much where we were going with this guy. You know, he was swaying about all over the place, um, but we knew we weren't going to get anywhere near him without a fight anyway. And already he was telling us to keep back, to keep our distance, etc., um, so of course we're trying to sweet talk him you know take it easy Steve let's not be silly look you know you've we've got to take you down the neck we'll talk this out we need to look at your head and get sort of course he's like I don't care about my head my head's fine you know and he's standing there literally pouring blood you know and you're like well you've got a little bit of a cut on the head there Steve we need to get that looked at I'm not going anywhere and you lot can back off you know and you're like uh oh you know and um, at which point he bent down and picked up quite a decent sized branch next to him you know that basically now he's got a kind of three foot long bat effectively uh, and says the first one of you that comes near me is going to get it you know so <laughs> a bit of a difficult one because we've certainly not got the reach to get him but what we do have of course is our land shark with us um, and at this point of course the whole time the dog has been absolutely crazy um, desperate to be let off um, to uh, to attack this guy um, but that hadn't happened at this point um, 
So we tried to talk him down. He, he wasn't having it at all. There was no way. And ultimately, you've got to get hands on. We knew we weren't going to get close enough without getting walloped to this bit of wood. But we need to get hands on. We need to handcuff him. Um, and he needs to get arrested. As simple as that, you know. And this is where you earn your money, you know, because you have to be able to do that. Much as you would love to just walk away, you can't do that. So... Sure enough, we get closer to the guy. We had a quick chat with the dog man. He said, right, you guys try and go and lay him hands on. The moment he takes a swing for you with the stick or, you know, he starts fighting, basically step back. I'll let the, I'll give him more and he'll let the dog off. And that's exactly what happened. So we closed him down, got to within about, I don't know, four feet of him. Thankfully, he was so drunk. He was now wildly swinging the, the piece of wood, trying to hit us. But it was, you know, it was almost comical because... It, you could see it coming a mile off, so you could just step out of the way uh, because of him being so drunk. Um, but we weren't going to get near to him without getting seriously injured. Uh, so in the end, um, he, he basically got his warning off the dog man, uh, basically said that he was going to kill us all, and that was it. Dog get, got let off the lead. Sure enough, did his thing, went flying into this guy, knocked him over, um, and that's all it took for us to get in. Now, I'm always a little bit concerned about approaching these dogs because this dog is in full-on werewolf mode, you know, wants to rip whoever up, you know. And, of course, you're now wanting to get in and get hold of that same arm that he's got in his mouth to get the handcuffs on. But uh, but equally, I didn't want this guy not handcuffed because I wasn't sure which was more dangerous, you know, the dog or this guy. So uh, that's what we did, basically. We got stuck in, uh, grabbed hold of the guy with the help of the dog man and, um, and got him cuffed up, got him handcuffed. Um, he got a good few bites for his trouble, but he was still fighting. I mean, it does not matter. We had to put two sets of cuffs on him because he was so broad and he was so wide in his shoulders. One set of cuffs, he couldn't bring his wrists close enough together. And that happens occasionally. So you have to use two sets of cuffs so actually their arms can be far enough apart. But... Um, We'd, uh, you know, the dog had had a, a right good chomp of him as well, uh, but we managed, and he was now quite seriously injured on his arm. We could see he had some bad injuries on his arm, but he was just fighting the whole way. And even even when he was cuffed, you know, and dragged off uh, to the van that had turned up, it was still a fight, you know, um, he just didn't stop. Um, this guy was just wild. Um, so we had to take him to hospital first because he's now got, he's got, not only has he got this, this cut on his head, but he's also got quite a bad injury um, to the back of his arm, sort of his tricep area. Uh, so we take him off to, to hospital and he gets seen to, but just fights and spits and he's just horrible the whole time there. And once he figured out he was getting blood in his mouth, he was taking great pleasure in spitting blood everywhere. Again, we didn't have spit hoods then, which is something we have now, you know, that you can put over people's heads to stop them doing this. Um, so we, you know, we did the best we could with trying to sort of, uh, not get spat on, but it wasn't very effective. So pretty unpleasant all round. I felt sorry for the staff as well because they had to get close enough. And in the end, we had to have stitches on the back of his arm um, where uh, where the dog had really chomped into his sort of tricep area. So uh, we take him back to custody. And uh, I mean, when people are fighting, normally you take them before the custody sergeant explain why they've been arrested and they take all their details if they're a civil sort of person. But he was anything but. He was still fighting and spitting and what have you. Um, so he has to go straight off to the cell and basically we'll speak to him when he's sober and when he's calmed down a bit. So eventually we did what's called a sort of a cell withdrawal, a three man cell withdrawal. Um, where he gets put on the floor onto a mat and then the handcuffs get taken off and then slowly people retreat while one person is left holding them pinned to the floor with a sort of a double wrist lock on and then eventually that last person is quickly extracted from the cell and in the same sort of movement the door is closed 
quite quickly. Um, what you've got to be really careful of is you've got to close it quick enough they can't get out, but um, you still have to have a quick look and not so quick that um, you know they manage to get up and get their fingers in the door because people have including cops have actually lost fingers where um they've managed to get hands in cell doors they're big old metal doors you know they get swung hard onto fingers they're taking those fingers off so that's definitely happened before so that's something you have to be really aware of but sure enough we got out safe um he was left in the cell uncuffed um still screaming and shouting and spitting and fighting and and what have you but we got away initially and uh he was in a right old state uh, and the the very last image i had of him um which is unbelievable uh, but it just shows you what sort of state he was in uh was i looked through the peephole you know the spy hole into the uh cell to see if he was okay which you should always do just to make sure because on a couple of occasions when hands and things have been trapped in the doors cops have just walked away and not actually realized what's happened so they've walked away and the person in there's been trapped by their fingers for some time before it's been realized you know so a quick look through the hole and when I looked through to my horror he's standing there and he's basically he's stripped off and he's now flexing kind of naked uh and he was a big boy as well you know he was very muscular um still bleeding now because he's not only pulled out the stitches from his head but while I was watching he grabbed hold of the end stitch from the back of his tricep with his arm raised up like he was flexing his bicep um and got hold of the stitch and then pulled it out one by one. I think it was about 20 stitches in the back of his arm. Um, and as he pulled the um, the stitches out, so the skin and actually the muscle of his tricep dropped away um, from the kind of, you know, the skin and the arm. So now you've got this, you know, grisly scene Um where you're looking through and, and I'm actually seeing him with his arm raised and the tricep of the muscle and the skin actually sort of flapping down and swinging about as he's still banging on the cell door and fighting. I mean, Jesus, you know, this, this guy just wouldn't give up, you know. So, drink drivers. <laughs> it's, um, you know, people do get themselves in a right old state. I mean, the one good thing about that incident was that no one else was injured because unfortunately I have been to quite a few fatal accidents involving drink drivers, but... On that occasion, just him, but certainly one I remember because of how it ended uh, with the with the tricep thing. You know, pretty pretty awful. But I mean, what what sort of state you know have you got to get into to be able to do that yourself and not you know not uh, flinch? It's uh, it's incredible, really. But there we go. So that's it. That's the one for this week. Hopefully, it was interesting. And uh, keep coming back for more. Downloads are continuing, so thank you for that. Uh, got ourselves as you know on youtube uh police stories podcast and also on pretty much every um sort of uh app you know for podcasts and stuff and um, been trying to get on twitter or x a bit more um to get ourselves out there and uh yes it's been working i think but certainly appreciate it if you know anyone else that likes sort of true crimey police type stuff maybe uh point them in our direction that'd be good if not i will speak to you again soon almost certainly next week Thanks very much for listening. Take it easy. Bye.